would be alive if you had stopped that thief. My name's Nathan, your most deity host. <laughs> My name's Andy, your man myth the legend host. And I'm Pat, your semen creation myth host. Wow. Nice. You are disgusting. <laughs> right into it. Um, Jesus, what are you, a Scientologist? I went there. Uh, yeah. That, that's not even, but... I, 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 I had a Spider-Man joke, too. Anyway, uh, how's how's everybody doing? It's been a while since we recorded last. Oh. It's like, we, we actually, the, to like, uh, like pull the curtain aside, uh, we literally recorded an episode yesterday. So this is, it always makes it interesting when we have to come up with like, a how your week thing did because sometimes we'll just try and make it up I'm like oh sure. yeah this week i did the other things <laughs> <laughs> well um i'll talk uh, my like i don't want to say highlight of the week or anything but um just getting outside more now that it's brightening up and i have my first coronavirus shot i you know I've been trying to, like, even just go for a quick walk mm-hmm. just to enjoy the outside, and that has been really nice and something that I have not really put a lot of effort into previously. You know, I have, right outside of my office here where I work all day, I have a little balcony so I can step outside and grab some fresh air anytime I want during the work day. It's, it's very nice. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've been leaving the windows open all the time because... It's been like mid seventies here, which is oh my goodness, so great after coming out of like we had a snowstorm last Tuesday. So like mid seventies weather is phenomenal. Uh, the only thing that bums me out is I've been leaving the windows open all the time, but I can't do it when I'm recording an episode. So I I'm like yeah. I feel like I'm all like trapped in here because I don't want you guys to hear like sounds of my neighbors like yelling at their kids or cars driving by or whatever and stuff you know you guys could have gone outside anytime during coronavirus like going out to parks and stuff like as long as you didn't get close to people like that's what a lot of people were doing oh yeah we did it we did a ton of that so i went running outside and uh we would do some things outside but um there was there was a lot of additional like stress at that point in time about how everything was going and like how long am I going to hold on to this job and spoiler alert not very long yeah but incidentally uh, more than long enough at the same time so anyway you know it, it was just a different feel and now, I know I've said this to you I, offline but that was 100% not your fault too I, well nope see I am never down with 100% not fa- not someone's fault like there's always you I the, I play a part in everything um, that 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 is good or bad that happens to you know to me yes. there, I play a part in that and I refuse to deny right it. you're responsible in but, that you chose to take the job in the first place that is yeah that is it was never role. a good fit like it was never really going to be a good fit um, I probably could have you know I am an, a performer I probably could have you know, put it on and been that that person, but I wasn't ever interested in doing that. That's not something I'm down with. If I can't do a job in an ethical way, then I'm just not interested in doing that job. Yeah, that's fair. So, 
you know, whatever. And, and okay, I guess I'm kind of like a hardliner in a weird way about that sort of thing. I get really upset when someone, like, lies about, like, how many peanut butter-filled eggs they actually bought at the Easter sale. Oh, snap. They didn't want to give me as many. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not... <laughs> I, I have... I'm, I'm weird and persnickety about some stuff. Are you, anyway. are you calling out your fiancé right now in a weird backhanded way on our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm making fun of myself for being obnoxious <laughs> about, like... <laughs> about ethics and stuff because I've I, it doesn't matter. I mean, this who, is going on way longer I'm, than it's supposed I'm just to. Saying, the point here who is who could have possibly predicted um, that getting a job as a used car salesman would involve lying? That's, that's wild to me. To be fair, it never like I was never asked to lie. <laughs> so um, and I never did lie. Like it, it that was that's not actually. I mean, I'm sure that some dealerships do. I'm just saying they from, like. They weren't like that. That was never the problem. But we're so way off. This is right. If, all if you were to go, <laughs> oh, we're not cutting any of this. This is gold. This is this such is garbage gold. conversation. Yeah. If <laughs> if you went on a game show and somebody asked you, "What's the number one job that people think uh, it employs liars?" <laughs> you you well, picked it. Okay, perception. Sure. Like, yeah, that's going to be on Family Feud every time. But it's not like. That's not the, that's not what the situation actually was for me. That was never like the problem there. I was never asked to lie. I just like they they expect salespeople to push people towards a sale at all times, and I was just of the opinion that if I don't feel like you're actually interested in buying, I'm not going to just push and push and push. That's fair enough. Um, I will, that was that was the yeah. Issue. I will say so. Hashtag Richard Dawson. Uh, is my uh, Family Feud host. Uh, you go to hell, Steve Harvey. Ouch. Hey, I like Steve Harvey. No, he's he's a homophobic piece of shit. I don't, I don't oh, care well, for that him. that is true. I do. I have <laughs> But anyway. Anyway, um, so the point here was that last year there was all, all sorts of environmental f- reasons why going out and enjoying the outdoors wasn't really as fulfilling as it is right yes, now. Yes, I think that's fair. We did. We went outside an insane amount last year, but like that dropped off like so much when the winter came. And the thing is, we do this weird thing that apparently old people do uh, in the winter (laughs) where we have maybe 10 minutes from my house. There's a big old mall and we go and we walk laps of the mall in the winter just so we can get some, so we can get some exercise without being outside in like super cold weather. No, I've, I've heard of people doing that. Like, some of my friends do that. Like, I mean, I don't think that's exclusively an old person thing, although it may be characteristically something that they do. I mean, but... mole walking is generally a geriatric activity. <laughs> but I'm just saying sign me up. That doesn't mean exclusively. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take the dentures and the canes and everything like that and uh, be out there with <laughs> my uh, hashtag old buddies. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, uh, I think that's enough of a how our week <laughs> went thing, considering we're covering, like, 12 hours of time. But today, we're, we we chose sort of a weird one today, and again, I don't remember how we came about it, but we're talking about religious origin myths. Yeah, well, I've been, so, 
Um, I definitely have been pushing to do some, some mythology for a while, lightly pushing. Um, I love mythology. I grew up on mythology. My dad used to read the Greek myths and the Roman myths, which were basically the Greek myths for the most part, but the names changed. Uh, the Norse myths, the, uh, Hindu myths, the Babylonian myths, the Christian myths, and, well, I should say Abrahamic myths, because they're all the same. Sure, sure. Um... I just always always found it interesting. There's always such there's fa- what what fascinates some of the things that fascinate me because this is not an, a complete list um, are the like this what's similar and what's different. What are things that pop up over and over again in all sorts of different origins? Right, there's and tons what, of them. And what things don't? You know, like the, there are. It's so the weird. flood mm-hmm. comes up constantly, which which makes me think that like an oral tradition of people passing down the story of the flood, like could have all had the same source or could have been like a historical event that people passed down and then became different myths or Mm -hmm. people just have like a really similar convergent idea of what the beginning of the world was like. And it included Mm -hmm. a flood. I mean, that one's possible, but maybe less likely than some of the others. And if you think about, you know, what, what, what's the origin of these myths in a, like a meta, um, in a meta sense, I guess, like these are stories that people would tell to explain the world around them when they didn't have scientific tools. So I think it's also pretty reasonable that, you know, they're all living in the same world, roughly. I mean, different environments, you've got some that are, you know, desert, like the, the, the Old Testament is basically like a guide to how to be a farmer in the desert. <laughs> That's like most of the book. And like, whereas like your Norse myths from way up in icy, in the icy North, they have a very, they, they bring up icy realms and things like that. We'll talk about that later, but things that don't appear in the origin stories and myths of those like temperate climate yeah or what do you say warm climate cultures so like they're you can see how these stories are really just explaining it's them trying to their best to explain the world around them like the the best like we have no idea what the science is so it's (laughs) probably a dog in the sky i guess right (laughs) like yeah I mean, if you see, if you hear wolves howling at at the moon, right, um, if that's a thing in your culture, then there's probably going to be some association between the moon and wolves in your myths. Right. I think there's there's one sort of, like, kind of adjacent story that I have about this, that um, when I was a kid, I loved the Odyssey for whatever reason. I picked it up, Mm. and I read it, like, cover to cover. I loved it. And in, like, one of the only times it's ever happened in junior high, we started cutting, covering the Odyssey in uh, school. And normally I was not a great student because I just didn't give a shit. <laughs> like, I tried. But, like, I would literally read other books that I wasn't assigned in class while I was supposed to be paying attention to the books that they wanted me to read. <laughs> and so yeah. my teacher saw this opportunity to, to engage with me and, like, more power to her. It worked perfectly because I have this like distinct memory that has always like stuck with me. Uh, she would do this quiz on the Odyssey as we were reading it. 
and no one would ever know any of the answers except for me, and I would know all of them. Like, every single one. I'd put my hand up. So she had, like, broken us into teams. Like, she basically cut the uh, class in two, and one of the teams, like, I was on and, you know, not on the other one. And my (laughs) team got every question right because I was on the team. So eventually, she just put the entire class on one side of the room, and I was on the other, and they got to pull all their information versus what I knew, and I beat the shit out of them. They did not stand sure. a chance. I bet you did. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. So, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey are two of my like favorite myths in general, and the Odyssey is the, I guess, parent of one of my favorite memes which goes something like Odysseus and his men are, are loading up their ship to leave Troy. And Odysseus says to them, okay, time to start our odyssey home. And one of the, the sailors says, well, wait, what's an odyssey? And Odysseus <laughs> replies, it's a, a 10-year journey where uh, named after the only survivor. And the sailor goes, oh, okay, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I've seen that meme. That's pretty great. That's a good one. And it's a funny joke. Um, Excellent. You know when you say stuff like that, you have now committed yourself to going to find that meme. Because we have to put it in the (laughs) doobly-doo. So, fair enough. That's fine. No, it shouldn't be hard to find. Um, I probably have it saved on my phone. So who wants to go? So we've the way we've done this is yeah. You wanted to get into it. Yeah, each one of us has chosen a, an origin myth that we're going to explain to the other two, and we'll have a nice conversation, and we'll sort of cover three non-standard myths in in the episode. So hopefully, people will get something out of that. I don't know what a standard myth is, but um, uh, de- <laughs> I, I would say in the beginning there was light. Okay, so non. Abrahamic. We've all chosen one that is not related to Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. Correct. Which collectively make up, I think, somewhere like 75% of the world's <laughs> re- religious population or something. I don't know. Some insane amount. Seems about um, right. Anybody want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll go. Uh, so, the one I chose is maybe something a little bit more mainstream, um, and I alluded to it earlier. I, I chose the Norse myths. So, to be clear about this, the, uh, the Norse cultures, there's a, there were a variety of them. The, it's not a monolithic group. The origin myths are basically based on two poems, I guess. There's the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. We'll link in the doobly-doo, like, a pretty, like, the poems. Sure. Uh, so that you guys, so that you can read them. What I'm going to do is, I'll probably read a, a few bits just to give you the flavor. But also, um, I'll, but mostly I'll, I'll kind of summarize. Nice. So, to be clear about one other thing here, before I start also, uh, um... My research for this, unfortunately, was not the Marvel movies. Aww, man. The Marvel character Thor is loosely based on the mythological god of thunder. Fortunately, I am mighty. But obviously, they take lots of liberties. And let me just say that I used to let that bother me, and I used to, I like, wouldn't watch Thor for the longest time, any of the Thor movies. 
because I was like, well, they just butcher the myths, blah, blah, blah. And then I finally got over it because those movies are bong. They are the bomb. They're so good. Thor Ragnarok is one of my favorite of right. the Taika Waititi is an excellent, excellent filmmaker. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. So, um, you know, it's not the Marvel stuff. It, that, uh, but but it is certainly a lot of fun. And uh, I think that I think one of the best words I can use to describe it is a horrifying acid trip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's do it. I'm excited. <laughs> to set the you, stage here. Okay. You've, you've pulled me in. All right. So the poem introduces itself and sets the frame. I'm going to skip past that. So in the beginning of the universe, in the beginning, just sort of in the beginning, there was nothing. There was, before there was soil or sky or any green thing, there was only the gaping abyss of Ganunga Gap. <laughs> Gesundheit. Yeah, right. Uh, so Ganunga Gap is a bottomless abyss um, that was prior to the creation of the cosmos. So it's it's nothing, but it's a thing because it has a name. And I think that this is just one of the most fascinating concepts in origin myths in the first place is the 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 what do they do with the before time, right? If some, it was there nothing and then something, or was there always something? And I think that this is one of the coolest ways to deal with it is saying that there's nothing, but then making that nothing a something. Yeah, that it's got a name. So, like, there's a, there's a couple of different, like, classifications of origin myths, and this one is one called Ex Nihilo, like, from mm -hmm. nothing. But there, there are other ones. There's, there's some that come from, like, the, the dismemberment or the offspring of gods. Like, a god loses a limb, and that becomes the well, earth or the universe? Sure. If I, with, without getting too far ahead of myself, um, go ahead and put a pin in that thought right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, all right. So, um, Ganunga Gap. So, Ganunga Gap. Gesundheit. I like this description. This chaos of perfect silence and darkness. Chaos of perfect silence and darkness. Sounds lovely. Um, <laughs> can, just just for my own curiosity, can you spell Ganunga Gap for me? Absolutely. G-I-N-N-U-N-G-A-G-A-P. Ganunga Gap. All right. Um, so interestingly, um, Ganunga Gap, Gesundheit. this great nothingness that precedes everything, happens to lay between the land of fire, Muspelheim, and the homeland of ice, Niflheim. So, apparently this nothing that precedes everything already exists between two somethings, which is a little weird. Right, so so there's already, like, the Tree of Life <laughs> and the... No, not yet. yet. Okay, but there's, there's nope. realms, though. Yes, there are realms. Uh, a realm of fire, Muspelheim, and a realm of ice, Niflheim. And, in fact, the ice and the flames from these respective hymns um, kind of flirt with each other in Ganunga Gap. Gesundheit. And this creates lots of, like, hissing and sputtering and, and explosions. Fire melts the ice, and the drops of that, of that water form Emir, or Emir. I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced. It's Y-M-I-R. Emir. 
Apparently it means screamer, which is so pleasant. Um, and he <laughs> is the first of the giants. Um, he's androgynous. And so he... Um, <laughs> so they then. <laughs> they they uh, um, were lonely and so basically made more giants from their legs and sweat. From <laughs> his sweat. Now I'm just picturing a very, very short, top-heavy giant. Because <laughs> he loses a lot of mass from the legs. Right. <laughs> Sorry, they. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess he's sort of liquid, so I, I, I assume that it sort of comes out evenly or, or it adjusts pretty quickly. Sure, sure, sure. So, all right, so we've got Amir... And we've got some more giants made from, like, his flesh and sweat. And Amir, again, is made from the melted ice from Niflheim and the fire from Muspelheim. And their explosions in Ganunga Gap, which is the Gesundheit. space in between. Okay. Ah. <laughs> it's, I'm telling you, this is... Nothing. This is the first... We just have one person and a few extra... Like, we have one named right. person so far here. The other thing about, like, ancient myths about origin stories is uh, they're all gross. Yeah. So, like, they all, like, don't make stuff out of your sweat. Right. Don't wash that Ew. off. Make some stuff out of some spring water shower. or something. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, so, the, the frost continues to melt, and the next thing to emerge from it is... Adumla, which is a cow. <laughs> Adumla, A-U-D-H-U-M-L-A, which means abundance of humming, it, uh, okay. is, is formed. Uh, and she nourishes Emir, or Emir with her milk. And she, in turn, is uh, she eats, nourishes herself, I guess, not really eating, by um, licking the ice. In Niflheim. And I guess there's some salt in the ice. So, now, here, here's where it starts to get strange. Here's some more strange for you. So her, slowly, like, as she's licking away the ice, she uncovers Buri, who is the first Acer, uh, the first god. Buri has a son, Bor, out of no mother, Bor marries Bestla, who is a giant. So we have this, who, who's a giant, you know, one of the things create, one of, one of Amir's sweat people. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. All right, so. Not, not to be confused with the leg giants. Right, right. Um, ay, 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 this story, right? Okay. So Bor and Bestla, they have, um, Children, three children. Uh, the first of which is Odin. So finally, someone whose name we recognize. Sure, Odin, and Odin has two brothers, Vili and Ve. For no apparent reason, Odin, Vili, and Ve murder Emir. Um, and from his corpse, and here we go, Pat. Sure. You can pull that pin out. <laughs> from his corpse, um, they they so they use his blood to make the oceans. They use his flesh and skin and muscles to make the ground, the soil. They make plants from his hair. They make um, his brains into clouds. 
They take his bones that are still intact to make the mountains. They take his shattered and crushed bones and teeth to make rocks. Sure, sure. Right? They take his skull to create the sky. A dome. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> cool, I'm with you so far. There are, do you do you have now you may you may still be waiting to say it, but you did you read on what they used his eyelashes for? Oh yeah. So that comes up a little bit later, but the eyelashes turn into um basically like a protection or a barrier between realms. Right. It'll specifically it uh between um, the, Midgard and the other realm, right. like Earth. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, it's a, it's, it's a. Basically, they form like a barrier around Midgard to protect it, to keep basically the the frost giants out. But um, yeah, so <clears throat> those are some good ass eyelashes. Right, right. Quality. He must have looked crazy when he was live. If all of this stuff got <laughs> made out of his body. <laughs> Um, like, first of all, he had to be huge. This is one thing I love about, like, a lot of mists in general, but North Norse mist specifically, is that they have no, like, reasonable measure of size on anything. <laughs> no, they, no, it's just whatever, you know, it's a, it's God-sized, don't worry well, about what, it. Well, what, what, right. I mean, this <laughs> may be spoilers for later, but what really kills me is that a descendant of the Frost Giants just completely blends in with the rest of the gods like nobody ever bats an eyelash about his appearance because i i am the monster parents tell their children about at night you know it all makes sense now why you favored thor all these years because no matter how much you claim to love me you're gonna have a frost giant sitting on the throne of asgard right and he gets a show on disney plus i think starting in June? What? Oh, Loki. So pretty yeah. cool. But anyway, that's spoilers for later. We're we're still yeah, on New no, Year's. I'm pretty pumped for that show. Of the, well, so, but, but I will say Loki's thing, even in the myths, is because he's a trickster god, he's able to disguise himself. And I think that's why he's able to basically blend in sure. wherever. Mm-hmm. So to be clear, we we actually don't really have like the realms set up. Excuse me, set up at this point, right? They're they're starting to kind of get organized a little bit here. Um, by the way, Emir's <laughs> skull, which is now the heavens, the dome above the earth, is held up by four dwarves. Their names are North, South, East, and West. They didn't come from anywhere um, in particular. They just show up. Dude, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm with it. I just <laughs> wanted to clarify. Can you try and be clever with those names. I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they just sort of. I think that they're probably made out of like I don't know, maybe Amir's arm hair or something. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, and by the way, Amir did not have any genitals. In case you were wondering, of those, of course, would have been something. I'm sure. So okay, so we've got our four dwarves holding up the heaven. Um, we also have our first man and woman whose names are Ask and Embla. They were made from tree trunks. And we finally have kind of the formation of Midgard by using the uh, his, the eyelashes to make the, the fence around, around it. So now at this point, we have, you know, Odin and Vili and Ve, and um, 
But, alright, really quickly, right? Emir is supposed to represent the chaos before creation. It's just sort of a lump of existence. Um, and the fact that he exists in Ganunga Gap is is significant. Right. So that's basically the creation of the world. Um, there's some more that goes on. Like, there's... Pat mentioned uh, Igadrasil, the Tree of Life, which I am still... Yeah. I think it's I think it's Igdrasil. Yeah. Which also has like the 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 spelling on the spelling on that one is Y G G D R A S I L. Like what are you doing? Yeah. Well, differently. Yeah, here, not so. going the English route for sure. Igdrasil is is the tree, it's an ash tree. Specifically, it is sort of like the so Midgard is like perched in the middle of it. Asgard is to the north, and uh, Jotunheim, which is the giant's realm, the frost giant's realm, uh, is to the south. They talk about nine realms, but they never really go beyond naming those. So, I, I mean, you do still have. Niflheim and and Muspelheim, I guess. So that makes five. <laughs> real quick, just to throw a wrench into your uh, narrative here real quick. If we can go back to Yggdrasil for a second. My favorite thing about uh, Yggdrasil is, and I always mess this uh, pronunciation up, Ratataskar, which is a squirrel that lives on the trunk yep. of Yggdrasil and basically acts as uh, a communication device in between all the other animals that live <laughs> on this tree. So there's an eagle that lives at the top. There's a dragon, a serpent-like dragon lives uh, on the roots. There are like so there are a bunch of different animals, and basically this <laughs> this squirrel is supposed to gossip in between them. They like the dragon will tell him something, and he'll like sc- scurry up the tree to the top and tell the eagle, "You'll never believe what the dragon well, said." <laughs> And it's specifically insults. It. I, like, he carries insults between them. Yes. Which is f***ing great. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that might be my favorite character in Norse mythology. Like, forget about Thor, Odin, Loki. It's Ratatasker. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rata- yeah, Ratatasker, uh, he's not the most important character, but he is arguably the most entertaining. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so this is uh, a passage... Directly from the poetic Edda, I'm, I'm reading from Henry Adams Bellows' version, uh, written in 1936. Um, obviously, there's a lot of different translations and versions, but this one is the one that I'm going to link in the doobly-doo. So, um, this is the, I guess, stanza 19. And Ash I know, uh, Yggdrasil its name, with water white is the great tree wet, Thence come the dews that fall in the dales, green by earth's well, does it ever grow? Um, so, keeping in mind that this is translated from an old Norse, with which is a, basically a predecessor of English, but a sure. distant one. So, um, here's some flavor, though, that I think is really neat. Um, the dwarves. We talked a little bit... They, you know, we brought them up, um, and here's, here's, I'm going to just read a whole bunch of this. It's a, a long list of dwarves, 
but I think it's worth it, and I think you'll see why. <clears throat> Sounds like good radio. Then sought the gods their assembly seats, the holy ones, and council held to find who should raise the race of dwarves out of Bremir's blood and the legs of Blaine. There was Motsognir, the mightiest maid of all the dwarves, and Durin next. Many a likeness of men they made, the dwarves in the earth, as Durin said. Ni and Nithi, Northri and Suthri, Ustri and Vestri, Althchof, Dvalin, Nar and Nain, Nipping, Dane, Beefer, Boffer, Bomber, Nori, An and Onar, I, Mjothvitnir, Vig and Gandalf, Vindolf, Thrain, Thek and Thorin, Thror, Vit and Lit, Nir and Nireth. Now I have told Regan and Ransvith the list aright. Fili, Kili, Fundin, Nali, Heptifili, Hanar, Svir, Frar, Hornbori, Freg, and Loni, Arvang, and... Alright, this is beyond ones that we're <laughs> recognizing, but the beyond the ones that I wanted to notice, which is a whole bunch of the ones who all were friends with Bilbo Baggins. Exactly. I was going to say, like, the, a lot of those, like, sir, I noticed Feely and Keely. Mm-hmm. Gandalf. I, I didn't hear Bomberin. Well, there's Thorin, Oakenshield, and there's Dwalin, and Balin, and Ori, Dori, Nori, Oin, Gloin, Biffa, Bofa, Bomba, and there are two more. Oh, well, Feely and Keely. Thorin, uh, Oakenshield, yep. uh, in fact, the name Oakenshield pops up a, a few times in different versions. They're not in this one, but, which is Thorin's last name and the, like, his clan or whatever. Um, Beefer, Boffer, and Bomber, you mentioned Nori and Ori, I don't think there was an Ori. But, like, yeah, this was a lot, I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien used a lot of Norse mythology as source material. So he plagiarized. Be silent. Give your full tongue behind your teeth. <laughs> well, sounds like it. So I guess so did Stanley. So let's sue them both. Yes, for sure, Stanley. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not really sure who holds the copyright on the Poetic Edda. No, I mean I'm not. Prose, I'm not mad at Tolkien. The prose Edda was. I'm just mad at my English teacher right. for not letting me do that. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, that's kind of the basics i mean obviously we all know that like we haven't heard of we haven't heard from freya or thor or heimdall or any of these other like oh yeah we're just getting started here i I think i mean we've gotten the origin myth part done we've gotten the origin story done so odin is born uh he and his brothers get bored they decide to kill a god giant and then they make the cosmos out of their various body parts yeah, more or less. Um, that's and then there's a tree, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's a tree with a squirrel on it. So part of the problem, obviously, is that there's the source material that we have to 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 know these stories is rather limited. These are ancient stories, um, and and a lot of it's just been lost. And a lot of it came from an oral tradition in the first place and got written down after already having been passed down for centuries and centuries. So there, there's a lot of like, I mean, we do certainly have a lot. We have these poems that have been pretty well translated, but there's a lot, we don't, we don't know what we don't have. And a lot of this stuff is, you know, just because we have a poem that says like, oh, and by the way, dwarves hold up the, the dome of the heavens. 
well, where the hell did they come from? Eh, they're just dwarves. <laughs> could have been could have been like another story that was that was lost. So one of the one of the interesting things about memory and stuff is that our modern civilization, like modern humans, we have places to put everything. Like I can write something down. I can put it in a book. I can put it into my phone. I can put it on the internet and keep it as a list there. Right. Like the things that I have to actually memorize and keep around in my head is very, very limited. Ancient people memorized everything. If you want an epic poem to be passed down to your children, you're memorizing that whole thing from start to finish. And then you can go and tell the story. <laughs> so, well, yes, but also, um, like, there's... what, and, and this is part of my fascination with the Homeric stories is... There's so much, you, we learn a lot about how these oral traditions are passed down from, from storyteller to storyteller, because that's a, a hallowed position to be the keeper of the stories. You would go from town yeah. to town and they would like treat you like a king or, you know, like a high ranking official, maybe. Uh, maybe not quite king, but you know, uh, <laughs> like someone that they give a free meal. Yeah. And oh, hundred percent. So, like, yeah, you drink free at every bar, like, but but there's but they use a lot of really cool um, devices to remember things and, and and stories. So one of the cool things in in the Homeric tradition is every time that he mentions a god, there's like tags that go with it. So. This huge story actually is maybe 40% a plug and play where it's like, oh, well, Athena goes here. So that's Athena, bright eyes, I don't know, something else. Like it'll, they, they not embellish, but that's all, that's part of the flair and flavor of the poem because they're epic poems ultimately, usually, or praise. Um, and but which were still generally poemy, poemy, yes, poemesque, poetic. Anyway, that sounds too easy. <laughs> anyway, well, what I will say is, it's it's kind of hard to like for us and what we're used to in modern storytelling. Sometimes it's hard for people to grasp onto these things. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was gonna suggest: uh, one person who loves this Norse mythology is Neil Gaiman. And mm -hmm. uh, he actually wrote a book in 2017 called Norse mythology, Norse mythology. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. I read he, it immediately. Right. And it's, it's fantastic, but also it takes like, he does some embellishment, but he takes these uh, stories and he turns them into, it, it, they're not necessarily very different, uh, but he does, a great job of transforming them into a modern day telling of yeah, the same he, story. I mean, he tells the stories truthfully, like accurately. He is not, he doesn't misrepresent them right. at all, but he just, <laughs> he just reef, he takes that information and form like what I was reading there. The, the actual poetic Edda is in such weird verse because it's translated from this right. ancient language that uses a different type of grammar and different types of like, uh, Germanic, um, rhyming traditionally Germanic poems were alliterative, not rhyming. That's not, and, and that's really, really weird to us. We don't, 
Uh, we want poems to rhyme <laughs> in general. And one of my um, one of my favorite things about it that I felt like I I kind of got from the mythology, but I got really hard from the this book that he wrote is Thor is an asshole. I mean, oh, Thor yeah. is an unbelievable asshole, and kind of everybody hates him. Um, well, and and I mean. If we're being honest, he's he's almost as mischievous as Loki. Sure, his more so arrogance. in a lot of ways. Like, he starts wars with the giants. I mean, which I guess is kind of... They did sort of allude to this in the Marvel movie, didn't they? But he, like, starts fights with the giants just because he's bored and wants to fight. Yep. Oh, <laughs> like, my goodness. God, sounds about anyway. right. <laughs> it's called Norse Mythology, and you should totally check it out. Yes, absolutely. We gave you just a slight taste, which, like I said, is basically a horrifying acid trip. Well, I loved his work on Sandman, the Sandman comics. Oh, uh, yeah. Amazing. He, he's done a lot of other good work, too. Um, Every, like, everything. His books are great. Well, yeah, Neil Gaiman's just a very, very talented storyteller. I would, If he came into my inn, I would definitely give him ale and stew and night to, a mm. place to rest. And a wench. If you wanted. I mean, she's she can work that out. She's an independent businesswoman who can well, make I'm her own. I'm just saying, like, I would just give him her card. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, so anyway. the, the, the next <laughs> creation myth that we're going to talk about today is the uh, Sumerian creation myth. It comes from uh, Mesopotamia, like it, that, that region of what is modern day Iraq. And there are a few artifacts that have been recovered and translated. Unfortunately, some of these artifacts are broken. So you'll see, like, there's, like, a part of a, a verse that is, like, cracked. Um, but the this civilization was um, from, like, about 4,000 years B.C. And a lot of these stories were crafted at like very different times throughout their history. So the oldest story um, that we have record of is the Epic of Gilgamesh. That was like the earliest written one. Um, but it doesn't have a lot of details about the creation myth. Um, one of the ones that was written later, but actually does have a segment about the creation myth, is the debate between sheep and grain. So the debate between sheep and grain is a... It's a poem that uh, they found on a tablet. And it describes the, the beginning of the earth by saying that um, this is about the time before people had grain. There was no grain for 30 days, there was no grain for 40 days, there was no grain for 50 days, um, and the whole poem is about contrasting the benefits of grain with sheep, which is a very interesting um, parallel that comes up later in the Abrahamic tradition in the story of Cain and Abel. So there, there seems to be like a through line between this Sumerian creation myth and the gifts, particularly that Cain and Abel were bringing to to God. So, real quick, um, I think 
it's interesting just to kind of go back to the point I had brought up earlier. You know, look in the in the Norse myths up in the icy north. You, there's jack shit about any sort of like farming, agriculture, anything like that. Right. It's all just fighting. Um, <laughs> whereas go move down to the fertile crescent, and immediately we are we are slammed with. <laughs> What was before grain was the same as before time, basically. So yeah, basically, like, yeah. being able to do agriculture is the beginning of time for them. Well, it's interesting because so many of these myths are built around whatever the most important staple was uh, in terms of food, in terms of survival to these different um, cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. So I'm just going to read yeah. a little bit from the debate between sheep and grain. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but. Um, when upon the <laughs> I bet hill... you I can guess what one side is. Uh, it's... And the other side is just, like... Nice. I don't know what sound grain makes. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe they had talking sheep back then. I think maybe more likely... I don't know. They they, they had... Um, it was it was the debate of concerning sheep versus uh, grain. Okay. okay. Uh, when upon the hill of heaven and earth, Anne... So Anne... A.N. is one of the gods, spawned the Anuna gods, since he neither spawned nor created grain with them, and since in the land he neither fashioned the yarn of Utu, which is the goddess of weaving, nor pegged out the loom for Utu. With no sheep appearing, there were no numerous lambs, and with no goats, there were no numerous kids. The sheep did not give birth to her twin lambs, the goat did not give birth to her triplet kids. The Anuna, the great gods, did not even know the names Azinakusu, which is grain, or sheep. There was no muck grain of 30 days. There was no muck grain of 40 days. There was no muck grain of 50 days. There was no small grain, grain from the mountains, or grain from the holy habitations. There was no cloth to wear, Utu, had not been born, no royal turban was worn. Lord Nijirsi, the precious lord, had not been born. Kakan, the god of wild animals, had not gone out into the barren lands. The people in those days did not know about eating bread. They did not know about wearing clothes. They went about with naked limbs in the land. Like sheep, they ate grass with their mouths and drank water from the ditches. So what I want to focus on in this is that um, rather than referencing a time or rather than saying like before there was anything, there was there was this or or from nothingness came this. They already have a an established pantheon. There are gods that have names that um, had already been established in previous works, not the creation myth. Um, so when I said, when you say An, or the Anuna gods, or Utu, those are, those are household names to the Mesopotamians already. But the way that they reference time is they, they say like, this is before people knew about grain. So that's, that's how they reference a long time ago at that point is this story is about before we knew about grain. Um, wow. And then it it talks about like <laughs> how the the Anuna gods got milk from 
the sheep and uh, how like the different uh, lands were brought sustenance and stuff like that. Um, there, there is another one that refers more directly to the actual creation of the gods. But again, this is long after the epic of Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh and that one is called uh, the Barton Cylinder. The Barton Cylinder was a, a cylinder that was found in uh, also in Iraq um, by a, a professor of the University of Pennsylvania named Barton. Um, and it's supposed to date to around 2400 BC. And the origin myth in the Barton Cylinder talks about uh, basically the, the different realms. So like the, the heaven and the earth and the water that's between them and uh, like the air all have names and those are the corresponding gods. So um, like when we talk about An or Anu, that's the that's the sky. So it, it refers to both the god of the sky, but also literally the the area of the sky. And the Barton cylinder is mostly about like these these different gods literally procreating. Those days were indeed faraway days. Those nights were indeed faraway nights. Those years were indeed faraway years. The storm roared, the lights flashed. In the sacred area of Nibru, the storm roared, the lights flashed. Heaven talked with earth, earth talked with heaven. And then we have a section that is kind of chipped off of the cylinder, unfortunately. The, the next part of the tablet is about a, a sacred marriage between Anne and Ninhursag. And during this marriage, the heaven and the earth touch. And from that, uh, more of the gods are born. So uh, Enlil's older sister with Ninhursag, he had intercourse, he kissed her, the semen of seven twins he planted in her womb. And then this is where a lot of the rest of the gods come from. And each one of them corresponds to like a, a realm, an area. So like where we talked about with Emir, like parts of his flesh becoming like this becomes the ocean or this becomes the mountains or this becomes the rocks um from this it's the union between An and Ninhursag that becomes all of the rest of the gods and all of the rest of the realms and then people actually come later uh as a part of the creation nice so wild man yeah i mean there's there's also a lot of parallels between this and and genesis well, and that's also interesting because, like, in that, because of that, people weren't the goal. Like, people, sure, people got created, but it wasn't the intention to create the people. It was in the intention to create the world, which then, in turn, created the people. Right. 
which I think is very different. Like it's if if that was your creation myth, then you inherently don't believe yourself to be the center of the universe or the most important thing. Right. Just think how much easier it would be to pass climate change. <laughs> that you're not the the center of the. And Nathan edited a rim shot in right there. <laughs> so so here I I feel it's relevant to hop into there's there's a ancient Mesopotamian city called Nippur N I P P U R that was a center for this priestly tradition of their religion. It was a very important city, but it wasn't a militarily powerful city, and it wasn't part of the uh, power structure in regards to kings. It actually predates the power structure of kings of ancient Mesopotamia, but it was kind of set aside, and it, it avoided a lot of the conflict that came um, between, uh, you know, warring cities and warring civilizations. And that's why a lot of these tablets and, um, you know, the Barton Cylinder were preserved is that um, nobody ever came by and destroyed them because they were all pretty well preserved in this city of Nippur. Um, and, and that's where a lot of these tablets were found. So this tablet is about the creation of the earth. It's called the Enuma Elish. And it starts out when, when in the height heaven was not yet named and the earth beneath did not yet bear a name and the primeval Apsu who begat them and chaos Tiamat, the mother of them both, their waters were mingled together, and no field was formed, no marsh was to be seen, when of the gods none had been called into being, and none bore a name, and no destinies were ordained. Then were created the gods in the midst of heaven. Lamu and Lahamu were called into being. And so the, the next segment is about, like, the gods and... Um, their relationship with each other and the creation of man it's kind of hilarious the the gods have to labor over all of these different parts of creation and one of the gods anu gets lazy and decides he doesn't want to have to do his work anymore and so he creates all of humanity in order to not have to do his work that's awesome which i relate to on a personal level. <laughs> well, also like, uh, jokes on him. Yeah. Cause, uh, we're pretty lazy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But so, Good so times. their, their gods were like very human. Like, um, they had, you know, emotion and personal conflicts and flaws. And as far as we know, like they, looked like humans. They walked around and talked and acted like humans. This is something that we're going to see a lot is like, you know, a lot of traditions have very human-like gods or people are created in the image of God, a god or gods. Right. I love it when gods get like petty or horny or jealous or whatever, you know, like 
when they have like normal people problems and like the things that they do aren't always intentional but like are just like mistakes that they made mm-hmm. I love it yeah I was gonna say I- I've always found the world to be too chaotic for a like an all-powerful all-knowing and and a benevolent right. god I, it just has never been never been able to you know square that circle but i think that it's a lot easier to understand the world and it's how messed up it can be in the context of gods who are like rapists yeah what about what about a wrathful spiteful or capricious god like you've got any room for that because i mean there's a lot of traditions that have that yep I, I mean, again, I think it's too complex for a, like, a single-minded type of thing, type of deity. So, I don't know, there's a, there's a saying that the ancients had dozens of gods, and, you know, the, we've kind of moved into an age of monotheism with one god, and we keep getting closer and closer to the true number, but, like, (laughs) <laughs> chaos is ultimately I, like the most present thing in the world. The most consistent thing in the world is chaos. So, I mean, there's lots of chaos is, out there. There are, there are. Um, at any rate, I, that's not. I, I I just wanted to like agree with that point that I've I've always found a a fondness for gods who aren't who who are just beings themselves right gods gods with humanity drama right and and, and i'll I'll add to it this that um i think it's i think in a lot of ways gods serve to represent parents um you know in a lot of ways it's like on a functional level not necessarily like on a you know uh, theological level, but for a lot of children growing up, you know, whatever God or gods they, they learn about are sort of like what they, how they look at their parents as well, I think. So to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue, parents just don't understand. Maybe I'm totally well, way off. I know place, that when I showed up, I definitely cast my parents down into the pit of Tartarus and replaced them. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that was a tough time for me. Right. Well, you know, we all go through our things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, like, I think um, in terms of, I think, it, uh, I remember when, like, I sort of recognized that my parents were just people, people who didn't know, right. really know, like, what the hell they were doing either, except that they'd been doing it for an extra 20 some years, you know, but like, they're just figuring everything out as they go too. And they make mistakes, too. (laughs) And I don't know. I think if you grow up with kind of an idea in mind that even gods are, like, awful sometimes, then you come to terms with that sort of thing much more easily. And I think it maybe leads to a different way of approaching the rest of humanity. Hmm. I think that's interesting. So this seems like a good transition point. If you guys think. Um, sure. So I, so this story is shared by many uh, Native American tribes 
Um, but the one I'm sort of passingly familiar with are the Oglala Lakota. Um, it's been passed down through an oral tradition for centuries. I mean, like, actually, like, for thousands of years in some cases. Not just by the Lakota, but um, there's a couple of reasons that I chose this. Uh, first of all, I have a little bit of a connection to the Oglala Lakota. I spent a couple of weeks in a small community on the Standing Rock Reservation when I was 20. I think I've talked about it before how on my 21st birthday, I was on the reservation and I had this sort of magical night where I had gone through a sweat lodge and I went outside and there was like the moon and then a ton of stars because there's no like light pollution on the reservation. And off to one side, there was a lightning storm. It was, it was incredible. Uh, but yeah, I went down there with this Unitarian Universalist social uh, service organization and we rebuilt a playground and fixed them some asbestos flooring in elementary school. Um, we stayed in tents and interacted with the community. Uh, and because of that, they ended up actually inviting us uh, to some community events. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was great. Anyway, all that. That's really cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. And it was, um, it, it was, it was nice at that time in my life. Like when I was a, a young man, 20, 21, like exactly 2021. Um, and it's like, I think about it all the time. Um, but anyway, on that trip, we had a chance to visit the Black Hills. Um, and it's important to understand that the Black Hills are literally sacred land to the Lakota and a number of other uh, native tribes and have been there for, and have been for thousands of years. Um, I was told of stories about how sick tribe members would be sent into the Black Hills limping and dying and come out days or weeks later in perfect health. So this is sort of like where where we're starting at. Um, uh, the Black Hills are home to some of the most beautiful land in the country, as well as Mount Rushmore, <laughs> which I think I've uh, talked about in a different episode. But like putting Mount Rushmore on the Black Hills is akin to, like, if you thought you had a really good design for a smiley face and you carved it out of the canvas of the Mona Lisa. If the Mona Lisa was, like, also a, an insanely important religious uh, item. Like, it's, it's insane that we did this. So, not only that, but who did we put on Mount Rushmore? Arguably, um... It's a memorial to those that destroyed uh, the Black Hills itself and the indigenous peoples of the North America's way of life. So it's not great. But anyway. And that is that is rough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, also in the Black Hills is uh, something called Wind Cave. And this is why I thought it was interesting because I like I actually went there in Lakotan. It's uh, called Onia Oshoka, which means the earth is breathing. Um, I don't claim to be an expert on any of this stuff, so I apologize if I get the pronunciations not exactly right. I swear my intentions are good. But Wind Cave is one of the longest and most complex caves in the world. And when you walk up to it, it's called Wind Cave because there are barometric winds because of the, the changes inside the cave. So when you walk up, you get hit in the face with wind from underground. It's, it's crazy. It kind of slaps you in the face. 
Um, it's also surrounded by some of the most beautiful land in a national park that you can hope to see anywhere, along with a wide variety of wildlife. Um, they have prairie dogs, uh, they have elk, and they have, most importantly, bison. Um, and if you get a chance to go, don't try and interact with the bison. <laughs> like, you'll die. Don't do it. Okay, so, but I don't want to talk about any of that. What I want to talk about is when you're walking above ground, then it's been a while, but you walk up to this small hole. It's maybe the size of a small hula hoop in the rock face, and there are no signs that lead you to it or anything. When I went, there was nothing roping it off or anything like that. But for the Lakota, what that hole is, is the place where man and buffalo emerged from the earth. So here's the story. Uh, these stories have been passed down by Lakota's oral, oral storytelling tradition. So you're going to find a lot of variations, but the main details tend to stay the same. Uh, this version that I found was passed down by Wilmer Mestaff, uh, who was a tribal historian who died a few years ago. People lived in the spirit world because the earth was not ready for them yet. The earth existed, as did the plants and many animals, but there were no people, nor were there bison. Two spirits had been banished to the earth. Ikdomi, who was the trickster spirit, and Anagite, the double-faced woman. Anagite had two faces on her head. On one side, she was incredibly beautiful to behold, and on the other side, she had a hideous, twisted, and gnarled face. Ikdomi and Anagite only had each other for company, so Ikdomi, being a trickster, and just kind of an asshole constantly played tricks on Agnagite, and she hated him for it. Eventually, Agnagite stops playing around or reacting to Igdomi's tricks, and so he gets bored and decides that he's going to play a trick on the humans in the spirit world. The thing is, it isn't a one-person trick, so he asks Agnagite for her help, and he promises if she helps him, he'll never bother her again. And so she agrees. So Agnagite puts together sort of a picnic basket uh, with uh, these animal hides decorated with this intricate porcupine needle designs, uh, dried meats, berries, and other delicacies from the earth. And she gives this picnic basket to her wolf friend. Igdomi opens a hole in the ground. Uh, if you were paying attention earlier, uh, there was a hole at the beginning of this story that we were talking about. Uh, so Igdomi, this trickster god, opens this hole in the ground and sends the wolf down in the wind cave, which is a tunnel that leads to the spirit world. The wolf, once there, gives the picnic basket to the humans and shows them everything in it. Uh, they loved everything in this basket, but what they especially loved was the dried meat. Um, and I'm going to take this opportunity to apologize to Lexi. This is definitely not a vegan emergence story. Right. Because they, they didn't have anything like it. They didn't have anything like this dried meat in their spirit world. Uh, the wolf tells people, if you come back with me, you're going to have all these things and plenty more. But the leader of the humans refuses to go. He says the creator told them to, to wait there until the earth was ready. And that's exactly what he's going to do. So most people stayed behind. But those that had already tasted the meat went with the wolf. Again, Lexi, I do apologize. As the people emerged through, from Wind Cave through the opening that Igdomi had made, they saw this amazing blue sky 
and rolling green hills and these animals just running freely. It was in the middle of the summer, and the people thought it was truly the most beautiful place they'd ever seen. Uh, the wolf leads the people to Anagite's hut, where she disguised herself by draping the horrible side of her face and only showing them her beautiful face. She invites the humans into her home. She feeds them and tells them she'll teach them how to get, craft, or grow everything that the wolf brought them and more. And she was true to her word. The problem is that hunting and foraging, uh, drying meat, uh, quilling clothing, and all the other things, they take work. And the humans had had a super easy life, it turns out, in the spirit world. And so they worked slowly, and they tired easily, and they slept a lot. So this was all part of Igdomi's trick. The other part of the trick was the spirit world had no seasons. And so as winter comes around, the ignorant humans had no concept of what awaited them. They hadn't gathered enough food. They didn't have enough clothes or shelter or, like, anything. And they start to freeze and starve to death. So... What do they do? They go back to Agnagite, and they begged her for help, at which point she whips off the cloth off her other side of her face and laughs at them. <laughs> like, <laughs> she, like, <That's> horrified. <laughs> and so these people are starving. They're basically in, like, short shorts and t-shirts in the middle of the winter, and they go to the only woman who's been nice to them and also exists, as far as they know, and she, like reveals this terrible face that they hadn't seen before and laughs at them because she thinks it's funny. So the terrified humans run back to the hole that they'd come to the earth through only to find that Igdomi had covered it up and they were now trapped on the earth. So the people have no idea what to do or what to say or where to go or anything. So they just sit on the ground and they start to cry. <laughs> like, this is their plan, uh, is crying. <laughs> Sure. And so the creator hears their cries and pops up and is like, uh, the earth's not ready. What are you doing here? And they tell the creator about the whole thing with uh, the wolf and Ignagite and how they, they tried, but they didn't do enough work and they didn't know what winter was. And he basically says, you should not have disobeyed me. You had, <laughs> you had a good in the spirit world. So the creator has to punish them, but He's not without compassion. And so what he does is he transforms them into these great furred, horned wild beasts that roam the land. And this is how the first bison herd is formed. Hmm. So eventually the creator tells the humans in the spirit world that it's time to go to the earth. The creator unearths this hole that Ikdomi had made originally. And the humans emerge from it, and they see the same blue sky, they see the same rolling hills, they see the same animals roaming, but they see one thing the first group of animals didn't see, which is the hoof prints of bison in the ground. There are these, like, human footprints that sort of turn into bison prints. And the creator tells them to follow the bison, for if they, if they do, they'll have everything they need to live on the earth. They'll have food, they'll have clothing, they'll have shelter, the bison will lead them to water. And as the people walk away from this hole, the creator shrinks it down. So originally it's it's plenty big for them to get through, but he shrinks it down to the size it is today so that people won't forget where they came from, but also they know that they can never go back to the spirit world. And that wow. 
that is their emergence story. And I love it for a bunch of different reasons. But what I love is like, you can go to that place and you can see this hole and you can go to the wind caves and walk in them. And like, there are kids like putting their feet in the hole. Like it's, it's really weird how it's spiritual and sacred, but also a totally normal thing Mm -hmm. for them to interact with. And, uh, so anyway, that, that is the Oglala Lakota emergence story. Well, I mean, you can, you can walk around in Midgard too, you know? (laughs) Right. But it's the equivalent, (laughs) it would be the equivalent of like, you know, there's, there's the cross of Jesus Christ over there. Like, yeah, we, we know about it. Right. And that's the thing. Like I have trouble coming up with a decent analogy because like, It'd be like if it were the cross of Christ, but also the cross of Christ were what, like, gave you everything you needed to live. Sure. You know, like, it's it's weird combining that level of sacredness with a piece of land. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's why I am, I get, I get so angry every time I think about Mount Rushmore, because it was such a slap in the face to what the people who owned the land believed in. It's just wild. Yeah, I really didn't know that about Mount Rushmore. Like, I had heard inklings of that story, but I'd never really heard, like, the whole the whole reason why Mount Rushmore kind of sucks. So that's that's kind of a revelation to me. Yeah. So, if, so, yeah, like, after this happens a few years later, the government kind of wants to make up for it. So they decide that they're going to build, like, and it's so wild that this is their plan, but they're going to build a monument sort of like this first one for Crazy Horse, but they're trying to do it the right way. So they get in touch with this uh, tribe leader and get his permission to like put it on uh, his land and make sure that it's appropriate that they do it and everything. And this guy says, absolutely, we will uh, roll out the red carpet for you. Make sure you can do what you need to do. And it turns out later uh, that this guy was just a guy and was not the tribe leader of anything. And they just gave him a bunch of money and he ran off. Oh, damn. Oh, so now there's like a second, like a second desecration to the land that they tried to make it good, but like just failed on every level. So it's it's all terrible. But it's a but it's a like a, a statue of Crazy Horse somewhere or like a carving of. Yeah, Crazy like Horse? it's they use dynamite to blow it into the side of a mountain. Wow. So uh, again, like that whole thing of like. If you thought like the like Christ's cross would look with your name carved into it or whatever, <laughs> people would do that. I'm sure. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure they would. Oh man. So anyway, I, I really like that just because it, I think you you have a lot of the stuff we talked about in terms of endowing the gods with some like human traits and like even the creator at the end is like. You guys should not have done the like. I told you not to do this, you idiots. But he wasn't omniscient either. He didn't know they were on the Earth until they apparently started texting him by crying. Yeah. So yeah. so wait, does that make it weird to eat buffalo then? Because <laughs> like that that used to be yeah. People? It's a uh, soiling green apparently. You tell everybody. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell them. Silent green is people. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's the cool, like, how many other religions do you know where you can go and you can see, like, it's not like they came from the earth or, like, Midgard is the place, like, it's like, 
No, here's how you get there on Google Maps. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah you can't really go to Gununga Gap. Uh, no. <laughs> um, you can you can go to Nipur. Uh, I think we're going to start wrapping up here in a second, but I wanted to give you a few honorable yeah. mentions that I had found. I love um, it. I had a I had a couple as well, so yeah, let's. What you so, got? all right, I'm going to start out. I have three of them. I want to start out with the Bashango tribe of Africa. So, they had a god named Bumba who ate something that didn't agree with him and got a, an upset tum tum. Uh, so, during this time, the world was only darkness and emptiness, and there was definitely no Pepto Bismol. So, there's no way to treat this, so he just decides to let it sort itself out. And it does sort itself out in the form of a torrential amount of vomit. So the god Bumba first vomits up the sun, and then he vomits up the moon and stars, and then he vomits up the animals and plants, and eventually he vomits up some extremely slimy humans. And that is how the Bashango tribe of Africa thinks that we came about. Mm, wow. I had an, an, another African one, although it's actually kind of spread to other cultures, including the Caribbean, which is the story of Anansi, sure. the spider. Oh, yeah. And again, another um, like huge Neil Gaiman connection there uh, with uh, his American God story. Right. But Anansi is great. Uh, he's a trickster, another trickster god. Yes, he's another trickster god. Um, there's... I. I I don't have handy the actual like origin myth involved, um, and I'm not sure that it's a. I don't know how crazy it is, but just as sort of a set of of mythologies to go check out, set of stories. Anansi's fantastic, and there's a number of different like versions. There's an, a West African version, a Caribbean version. Like, sure. So there's some some variety and he's, within. Like, and he's genuinely well. funny. Like those stories are genuinely funny. Oh yeah. Um, so there's another character called the Briar Rabbit, sure. Rare Rabbit, but um, they're a lot of fun. Cool. I, after we do each one of these, I'm going to bring in the Rainbow. Uh, they're reading Rainbow. So <laughs> the more you know. So, so I, ha I have one. Um, yeah. I, I apologize in advance if I get any of the details of this wrong, but um, this is a story from the Bhagavad Gita, which is the uh, hin Hindi text. And... This is the story as I understand it. I'm not sure if this necessarily counts as like the original creation myth, but it is related anyway. So Lord Ganesha, which is an aspect of Vishnu, but Ganesh is the elephant guy. Yeah, he's got he's got four guy. arms, rides around on a mouse. It's fantastic. He's great. Yeah. So, but yep. he, when he was a little kid, so we have a tiny Lord Ganesha. Aww. Um his mother found him, he was out in the garden, and he was eating dirt. He was shoving dirt into his mouth. And she tries to stop him. She's like, you know, my goodness, what are you doing? You have to stop. And she, like, pulls open his mouth, and inside his mouth was our entire universe was mm. inside of his mouth. That happened to me when I was a kid, too. Fat check. It turns out that Sri Krishna was the one eating that dirt, not Ganesh. But Ganesh is an aspect of Krishna, so who's to say if Pat was right or wrong? Me, it's me. I'm I'm the one to say it, and he was. Mini fat check. 
Yeah, yeah, right. I, I think we can all relate. And to that. Uh, I mean, that's that's the story as I understand it. I'm sure that there is a ton more to it than that, but that's all that I have. That's that's um, another one of those things about how I love like size, uh, like variations in these stories makes like absolutely no sense. It would just like break your mind if you tried to think about it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, well, and and within also in the Hindu tra- tradition, the story of Ramayana is fantastic it's a that's a, that's another set of just uh, like fun stories they're 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 fun to read they're they're wild but all of these things are these are all from thousands of years ago they're just they're fun stories i have a couple more my uh second to last one is super quick the zuni who are uh, another group of native americans uh from the pueblo tradition the zuni believed that humans started out without a mouth or a butthole. Uh, they thought nothing, nothing goes in, nothing goes out until the gods create corn. And the gods really want us to eat the corn. And so one night while we're sleeping, they cut holes in our faces and that's how we got mouths. And then my favorite part about it is people start eating corn is like, this is delicious. Uh, but then they start feeling bad. And it turns out it's because they don't have blood. They have nowhere to go. So the gods, the the gods have to come back in and poke poke buttholes for all of us to poop with. Like, like what? Fantastic! Like, That's great. Well done, the Zuni. That's so good. But my last, and I think mm, uh, most wonderful one. Uh, uh, do you, uh, do you have more? Do you want to end on that one? Because I got one more, if I may. Sure. Yeah. Why, why don't you go ahead? Sure. I I feel like you have a finale that you're building towards. Oh, yes. Um, So uh, the the really quick, a very, very famous. Well, the Greek myth myths, which the Greek gods are very famous, but the Greek origin myth is not super well known. And it's a pretty wild one. And I just want to really quick, quickly run through it because it has one of my favorite uh, characters. Um, so in the beginning, there was an empty darkness. The only thing in this void was Nyx. Nyx is a bird with black wings. It's not specified that the rest of the bird is black, just black wings. Uh, Um, she lays an egg. It's a golden egg and she sits on the egg. And finally, uh, and and to be clear, there's different versions of this because these were all the uh, the Greek um, religions were basically little pockets of cults that had a bunch of the same gods, but they all like different different cities had their own sets of stories and gods right. that were like everybody more. had so their own fan it's a, fiction about the gods. Yeah, there's it's a hodgepodge. But um, so so the egg hatches and Eros emerges, the god of love. Uh, half of the shell rises up into the air and becomes the sky. The other half becomes the earth. Eros names the sky Uranus. Speaking of buttholes. Uh, and, and the earth he names Gaia. Then Eros made them fall in love. Uranus and Gaia had many children together. And Uranus is the correct pronunciation. I'm not just being obnoxious. Um, not just being obnoxious. Um, literally the only reason that, um, I, (laughs) that they renamed in the first place was to stop people from giggling. Yeah. Like they they didn't they didn't change the pronunciation based on anything other than school children like <laughs> giggling at it every time they heard it. Well, so I think you're yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh so so 
Okay, uh, Uranus and Gaia had many children together, and eventually they had grandchildren. So some of their children became uh, afraid of the power of their children. Kronos. Kronos is one of their children. Um, he swallowed a bunch of his children, including um, Zeus and... Um, oh, I forget who else, but a bunch of those ones that you know. Hera was in there. They were infants. He, so he swallows them, but his wife, Rhea, hid their youngest child. Oh, that's Zeus is the one that she hid. Um, <laughs> okay. Let me, let me back up. Let me see if I can find a better... Yeah, this is, this is the titan <laughs> you, that we're going to follow. Your explanation is taking like... Yeah. Your explanation is taking like ten times longer. That's because <laughs> I am talkative. All right, let me, let me start over. I'm going to start over. Six and a half hours later. You get... Gaia, you get Tartarus, Erebus, uh, Knight, and Eros. Knight and Erebus got together and had some children. We've got Hemera, Phos, and uh, Doom, Death, Misery, Deceit, and Discord. Three days later. Discord later gave birth to Murder, Slaughter, Battle, and Crime. Earth is so the earth holds up the sky roughly the earth is gaia by the way and uranus is the sky ah. gaia and uranus had a bunch of kids three thousand years later andy i i can't help but feel you've, oh you've my god dude this thing is too much it's just too much it's too damn much this is too long for a uh for an honorable mention all right starting over five four <laughs> <laughs> Wait, give me a second, because it can stop laughing. One eternity later. Okay, uh, I have a quick, one last honorable mention here, which is the, the Greek, right, the, 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 <laughs> the Greek mythology, you know, we all, we all know a lot of the characters, but I think that the origin myth goes under the radar a lot, and it's a pretty wild one. So, worth checking out, and... There's a lot of really good stories within Greek mythology, although they're kind of scattered because it was sort of a tribal type religion. Each city had like their own set of stories it, that were theirs. So. It blows my mind that they they the whole time they believed that the gods were up there on the mountain and nobody went and checked. <laughs> like well, you, it's just right there. We can go. That, like, that would have been awful rude, don't you think? I mean, right. yeah. <laughs> um, no one had invented hiking boots yet, so right. what were they going to do? All you got is is Heracles. Try and get him to go. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's what you—that's what you got. Or I'm not going to go into it because listen, it's just too much. It is a—it's an absolute bleep show of a story. You got to <laughs> just go check it out yourself. Cool. Okay. okay well, so future. Future person editing this, take, like, the first 20 seconds or 30 seconds of Andy's first story about the cracked egg and Nick's, and use that, because that was excellent, and it was the right time right. frame, <laughs> and then we'll just cut it and act like we just picked it up here. Great story, Andy. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Mm, wow. That was a... Yeah. All of this is definitely going into the podcast. <laughs> All of this is really going to make it... Uh, all right. Well, I feel like we went okay, places so today. Here's. Let me go ahead. 
Yeah, you got one more. There's messed up stuff ahead. This is your content warning. Your content warning, so don't say that you want more. I believe Pat sort of alluded to a similar story right at the beginning of the podcast today. But the last one I want to talk about is the Hymn to Autumn. A-T-U-M. It's an ancient Egyptian myth. And in the beginning, there was nothing. Everything begins with Atom, and he literally wills himself into being. So one second, there's nothing, and the next second, there's Autumn. But once he had existed and nothing else did, he felt that he had so much more to create. So, and here's the part where uh, you guys got to bear with me for a second. Uh, he uh, off and it into his own mouth. Oh, oh, all right. Yeah. Um, so after that, he sneezed out the wind and then spat out his own semen and created the rain. And that's literally all he created. Everything else just sort of worked itself out because we had wind and rain at that point. And so I guess that made light at some point and people and whatever. Yeah, that holds up. But yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> really using what he had uh, to. <laughs> We're gonna make have to it throw work. a PG thirteen on this uh, on this episode. Oh man, I tried. Yeah, like I didn't know how well to to clean it up. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> it's perfect. No, it's perfect as it is. He, I mean, it's historically accurate. He, so yeah, I did use the word ejaculated. I feel like that's better than saying he made he made a product. I don't know. He gently sucked his penis that he also <laughs> willed into being. And uh, in his own mouth. Oh, yes. hey, so I have another important origin story for us, and it's called Precious Moments. Precious Moments. <laughs> Stepping on toes over here. I, I had Excellent. to do it. No, no toes. It. It, no toes. If he, if he hadn't done it, Andy might have tried to launch into another, like, 45-minute <laughs> short origin story. Listen. 45 minutes is short. That is short. <laughs> no. Oral tradition. No, all right. This is why we have to have a two-hour-long podcast. It's true. <laughs> Anyone who stuck us with us this whole time, you're great. <laughs> Thank you. So I can I can go first. I found this precious moment just, just earlier, and uh, I love it. Um, there's an author I like a lot called Tanasi Coates. Mm. I don't know if you guys heard of them before, but Tanasi Coates is... A great author has written several books, but has recently been hired on as the writer of Captain America, which is cool. Like it's a it's a big comic book, and the the funny thing is, Tanahasi Coates has included the Red Skull as the primary villain, at least in one of the books. I haven't read them yet. I've just like read an article about this, and apparently. Jordan Peterson does not like it at all because he thinks that the Red Skull that Tanahasi Coates has created is based on him, and I think that's the funniest thing that has ever <laughs> existed ever. Even if you believe that, why would you point that out? <laughs> like that's kind of funny. Right, exactly. Like you're not helping yourself. Well, so hold on, wait a second. He, it's not that anybody said that this author based. Red Skull on Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson decided 
that this Nazi was way too much like him for his right. own comfort and got mad at the person writing the character that he decided was based on him <laughs> rather than on the person who the character ostensibly was based on, but not based. that's only based on his own... What the... What? So uh, apparently oh like, some of the things he says... And uh, the Red Skull's online uh, persona, uh, like, very closely follows some of the things that Jordan Peterson has done. And it makes makes me laugh so hard. Like, that's not surprising. I've known for quite a while that Jordan Peterson is basically functions as a recruiting ground for white nationalist groups. But, like... You don't get to get mad. Like, if, if that, first of all, you drew the connection. And then second of all, if that's what you think they're basing it off of, then you shouldn't be something that a Nazi would be based off of. Like, I don't, what, I, who, I, I can't formulate words. <laughs> it's, it's just so good. So I'll go ahead. There's an article about it that I'm going to uh, include in uh, the doobly-doo, but it's it's very, very good, and uh, the fact that Jordan Peterson <laughs> points it out himself makes it, like, a thousand times Well, better. that's really what makes it go. I mean, like, otherwise, yeah, of course you, like, if, if I don't, the author, I can't pronounce that name, Ta-Nehisi, something? Mm, um, Ta-Nehisi. Um, Ta-Nehisi, if ta had, like, come out and said, Oh, yeah, I pulled, you know, I used uh, a lot of Jordan Peterson's commentary for inspiration for this character. Then I think, you know, Jordan Peterson maybe should take a look in a mirror, but also would have grounds to be rather pissed off. But if he's the one who thinks, <laughs> like, that's the, I just, what the heck? Yeah, people, people were apparently sending him screenshots and sort of egging him on, but he, like, jumped into it. Oh, my God. It's it's so good. What not? Well, so I have I one. Mean, so, um, have you? Are you guys familiar with the the Chad versus Virgin meme? Um, there's yes. like a, a no. template that people fill in. Well, it's. I mean, I can I can link one in the doobly doo. It's it's like a MS yes. Paint. Um, it's got the artwork is phenomenal in those memes. Yeah, it's got like the Chad X and the Virgin Y. It's usually like. Point that I like versus your your point, like you know m my side of this argument versus your side of this argument, and it's a template that a lot of things get inserted for. There's also like a few viral pictures of this guy who is just like ridiculously jacked, like very sculpted chin, uh, short stubble, like big poofy hair, and looks like. The, the spitting image of the Chad guy. But this is a real person that exists. Like, there's pictures of him. Well, it turns out that that guy, that exact guy, is actually a virgin. <laughs> to this day. Like, currently, presently, a virgin. I found that story to be and, very, very amusing. An incel, if you will. Well, maybe. I think he's... Uh, I would have to look into that, whether he's he's by choice or not. But, yeah... Right. Mini fat check. His name is Ernest Kalmov, and he certainly is a striking individual. Uh, we were not able to confirm whether he is in fact a virgin or not, and frankly, it's none of our business. But 
We will include some information about him in the doobly-doo, including his Instagram, where, uh, I mean, damn! Mini fat check. Alright, I don't, uh, I guess I'll just go with what I was gonna say, which is something fun that's happened to me recently, which is... Yeah? Well, I do this every year, just kind of out of ritual, just cause, but, um... That means I usually don't watch it throughout the year in between, because once a year is usually enough, but not always. But I had my annual watching of The Life of Brian over Easter weekend, which nice. was a little oh, while that's ago. Nice. I love that movie. And that movie just makes me so happy. I love that movie so much. It's, it's so good. It's great. I just, I just, my, I have a one single beef with that movie, which is that stupid alien scene. Oh, you lucky bastard. Which makes no goddamn sense at all. <laughs> and that that scene frustrates frustrates me. The rest of the movie is absolute gold. So, Monty Python are <laughs> national treasures, not well, U.S. national treasures, right? Right, <laughs> British national inter, treasures. Inter, yeah, inter international sure, treasures, yeah. Uh, global treasures. In, They're just treasures. Um, yeah. Oh, I I did I did remember one other thing. So in a previous episode, I we were talking about is in the cancel culture episode. We were talking about George Carlin. And a bit that he had been working on that he recorded the day, literally the day before uh, the attacks of September 11th, 2001. Mm -hmm. And I am going to include in the doobly-doo, I think both of that that episode and this episode, um, I found a recording of just that chunk of that bit that he had recorded early on um, in like June of that year. He was, like, testing it out on an audience, saying, like, I haven't memorized this yet. I'm going to be reading off this thing. But it was interesting. And you can see, like, exactly why I pulled it, because it would not have gone over well. It was, it is really rough. And just a reminder, it was called, I kind of like it when a lot of people die. Yikes. And it is, like, he's not pulling any punches, and he's not talking about something that's adjacent to that. He's literally saying that he likes it when a bunch of people die and listing different ways in which people could die. I don't think he says plane crash, but he could have. Wow. So anyway, I'm going to include that um, both in this doobly-doo and the doobly-doo of the cancel culture episode. But yeah. So speaking speaking of, do you think that like Jordan Peterson is trying to cancel Red Skull now? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Tanahisi. Yeah. <laughs> Tanahasi. I think there's an excellent chance that one of us got the pronunciation of that name correct sometime in the episode. <laughs> um, we'll take we, we, but anyway, we mispronounced a lot of things in this episode. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that oh, is yeah. true. Oh yeah. I just want to like I just want to give a blanket apology to yes. everyone. So anyway, I really need to come up with a catchphrase. I hope we gave you something to have a freaking acid trip about. Love you, bye. <sighs> Yeah, leave a comment down below if there's anything that we pronounced wrong. <laughs> Let us know. Or if my uh, Lord Ganesh story was completely wrong. That also might be true. We can, if we can find like, like a official professor pronouncing each of these names or something somewhere that we can actually go off of, then we can go through with a little audio, and every time one of us says the name, it's either a bell if we get it right, or like an eh if we get it wrong. <laughs> I'll just do in 
individual fact checks <laughs> every time we say something and say, yep, nope, <laughs> like depending on what it is. Oh, man. Well, the episode's over, but the conversation isn't. Andy will definitely dock my allowance if I don't tell you that you can continue the conversation on Twitter or Facebook. We technically have a Reddit if somebody wants to post there at some point. I just gave up, but uh, I'll definitely jump back in as soon as somebody wants to start posting there. And if you want to support us, first of all, for free, just tell your friends, your family, your worst enemies if you want. Send them a link to one of the episodes that you think they'd like. Or if you'd like to do it in a less free way, go to patreon.com slash source and donate whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, we absolutely appreciate it, and uh, we love you, and we'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Links in the doobly-doo. Yeah, but, like, here's the thing. When you have the option of mentioning the 30 kids they had, don't. <laughs> <laughs>